if you're a second through fifth grader, at this time, you can meet Sarah in the back, and we'll be taking you down to the dungeon. Yeah. If you have a if you have a Bible, go ahead and get it out. We're going to be in several passages today, so if you're new to the Bible, and uh, we're going to have the scriptures on the screen to help you think about what we're going to be talking about. We begin a new series today called Retrace, but before I get into it, I do want to acknowledge one very special group of people in here. Um, in our church, the way we talk about membership is we call our members mission partners, and what we do in calling people mission partners, we explain what it means to be a member here, which is you're partnering with us on mission. And so when somebody comes and visits for a while and decides, hey, I want to be more than a visitor, but I want to get integrated or connected into the life of the church, they take a two-hour class where I answer a few simple questions, uh, like what is the gospel, what is our vision, and what does it look like to be a mission partner? And then uh, we receive people that have been baptized by and by immersion into mission partnership. And so just recently we had a mission partner prep is what we call it, and we had three people that made a decision to become mission partners with us. And so I just want to quickly acknowledge them. Uh, first of all, we have Lillian Fuentes, which I saw Lillian in the back. She's right in the back over here. Let's, let's welcome Lillian into our little, uh, And we also have Matthew and Leanne Perkins right here. Uh, to go ahead and stand up if you don't, don't mind. All for, for being here, and we're excited about that. Um, you'll be receiving a phone call from Andrew this week about the tattoo. We all, all received together. But it's cool, it's on your back, Florence, but a shirt covers it up, so you're, you're okay. This series that we're beginning today is called Retrace. What we're doing is we're inviting you to take another look at life with Jesus Christ. Many people in this part of the world have heard the name of Jesus. And some in this part of the world have heard that He is the Savior. Fewer believe. But what if we all went back to retrace how we got to our understanding of Jesus? What if we took another look at life with Him? Some of you love Jesus and you're glad to follow His way. This series for you will help you understand who He is more fully so that He will draw you more deeply into experiencing the peace of life with Him. Others of you hear me say that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, and you have some doubt, and that's okay. We actually are thankful that you're here. Maybe you doubt because what you know about Jesus is not accurate to who He really is. Would you be willing to retrace how you got to where you are in your understanding of Jesus for the sake of taking another look at who he is? For those of you that are skeptics, what do you have to lose? Nothing. But what do you have to gain? Everything. This series will take us directly to the stories of how he lived, what he said, and who he was as recorded in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the very first part of the New Testament. You know, one purpose of the Gospels is to show that Jesus is the Savior promised by God since the very beginning. He is the Savior provided for humanity at just the right time. 
But you should also know that the whole Bible is about Jesus and what he has done. The entire Bible. In fact, in the 40 days between the time that Jesus was raised from the dead after being crucified and when he ascended into heaven, during this 40-day period, he met with his followers and much of what he did was explain to them how he was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Luke chapter 24, verse 27, we read these words. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, being Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Jesus made a claim after his resurrection that not only were the stories that they experienced firsthand true about him, but the entire Bible is about Jesus. Next week, we're going to begin in the Gospels. We're going to look at stories of life of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at what it would have been like to spend time with him on those dusty roads between villages and on the way to the cross. But today what I want to do is look back to what we call the Old Testament. And I want to show you where we see Jesus in the Old Testament. It's not accurate to say, well, you believe in Jesus in the New Testament. And I believe in God in the Old Testament. That is illogical and unreasonable. And I've heard it a number of times. Because... What we realize is with a careful reading of the Old Testament, Jesus is God revealed in the Old Testament and in the New. So uh, at the risk of this sounding a little bit like a lecture, I want to tell you uh, about the places in the Old Testament where we see Jesus. Okay? Look at your neighbor and say, this is about to get exciting. <laughs> None of you did it. All right. We're good. <laughs> First of all, we see Jesus in the Old Testament in this category of things called Christophanies. These are the appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament before his incarnation. So God is one being, three persons. The second person of the Trinity that we know became a man, and we call him Jesus, has always existed. And he appeared in the Old Testament. Sometimes, oftentimes, in physical form. The Old Testament gives him the title, The Angel of the Lord. Now, the word angel means messenger. And so, uh, there are other instances in the Old Testament where there are actual angels. But it's referred to, in those cases, as an angel of the Lord. But here we have, The Angel of the Lord. Here's a for instance, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. We see a passage where Jesus is, is steps into human history, into the Old Testament. Here we are, Joshua, Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. The verses will be on the screen. When Joshua was by Jericho, now we should stop there so I can give you a little bit of context. Joshua is the leader that took the place after Moses led Israel from enslavement to the Egyptians. They had been enslaved for 400 years, so God selected Moses to lead them out of slavery and took them to Mount Sinai where they received the law, the Ten Commandments, ceremonial, ritual kinds of laws. And uh, Moses led them to the edge of this land that God had promised them as a part of the covenant. 
called the land of Canaan. But Moses uh, had a bit of a slip up there at the end of his life, and so he was not allowed to lead Israel into this promised land. God selected Moses' assistant named Joshua, and Joshua has led them at this point in history already through the Jordan, and he's led them to the edge of this great city called Jericho. This city is described in another passage, as they've already scoped it out, as a city with walls that reach to the sky. It's a very intimidating kind of a city. And so here is Joshua. He's contemplating how in the world are we going to take this city? They've already crossed through the Jordan. There's no place of retreat. The Canaanites who inhabit the city are known to be fierce warriors. They're ready for siege. They're ready for battle. Joshua stands at the edge of this city, thinking to himself, what in the world have I got myself into? These warriors in Jericho have battering rams and equipment for war that's far greater than what Israel had. They had bows and arrows and, and very light um, weapons of warfare, for warfare. So here he is looking at this, and something incredible happens. Jesus shows up. Verse 13, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Now this is significant, because the only reason that somebody would approach Joshua as he's alone, contemplating how are they going to take Jericho, is with sword drawn, is is a, it's a posture of battle. And so here's Joshua, a very, very powerful leader for Israel, and he looks at him and he says, are you a friend or a foe? If you're a friend, if this man is a friend of his, somebody from Israel's army, and he's approached Joshua in this way, with his sword drawn, he's immediately going to get killed. I mean, this is not the way you approach the leader of the Israelite army. If he's a foe, if he's an enemy, the Joshua will battle him right then and there. This, this being has his sword drawn. Joshua says, are you a friend or are you a foe? Are you for us or for our adversaries? Verse 14, and this man said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. Joshua, you want to know how you're going to take Jericho? Joshua was revealed in his heart that this was God himself. He fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. Joshua did so. This angel of the Lord was not merely an angel. He was a theophany, a Christophany an appearance of the second person of the Trinity in visible and bodily form before the Incarnation. There are other places in the Old Testament where we see uh, Jesus. In this one category we'll call types. There are types that teach us about Jesus and reveal Jesus. A type is, a, these are people and institutions in the Old Testament that are representative types of Jesus. Now, I could say a lot here, but just briefly, these include like the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, and then the leaders. So 
So there were prophets, and there were priests, and there were kings. So these are types of Jesus. And so in the New Testament, what we see is that Jesus, for instance, is all three. He's the prophet, the priest, and the king. And actually, the sacrifice, the final sacrifice needed. So there are types of Jesus in the Old Testament. We also see in the Old Testament, there are people of comparable role. These are people who do things that ultimately Jesus does perfectly and completely. We start from the very beginning. And Adam, Jesus is called in the New Testament the second Adam. Well, the reason for that is because the first Adam chose evil rather than God's plan. Disobeyed God, if you remember the incident in the Garden of Eden. Adam failed to obey God. But Jesus is the true and better Adam. He was tempted like Adam was, but rather than giving in to temptation, he resisted temptation and obeyed God the Father perfectly. He's the true and better Adam. He passed the test in this garden where he was tempted, and his obedience is given to us. There's also a man in the Old Testament by the name of Abraham. Maybe you remember the name Abraham. Abraham was the very first man, the father of the people that we call the Jews or Hebrews or the Israelites. So Abraham was called on by God to leave a familiar land, to leave the faith of his fathers, which was a, uh, a pagan, ritualistic kind of faith, and to become a follower of Yahweh. And God was going to bless Abraham and blessed his descendants, and from the descendants of Abraham came Jesus. So Abraham left the comfortable and familiar to go into the unknown, but he did make mistakes along the way. He's a very respected figure in uh, the three major world religions. But Jesus is the true and better Abraham. He answered the call of God to leave all that was comfortable. He went to the cross. He died so that we could have new life. Jesus is a true and better Isaac. You remember the story about Isaac? God called Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac on an altar. Now this sounds strange to us, but actually in ancient Near East religions, it was fairly common for someone to sacrifice a child to the gods. So here is Abraham. He's got Isaac on the altar. And rather than actually having to sacrifice his son to Yahweh God, God at the last moment provides a sacrifice. There's a ram in the thicket caught. And so Abraham is taught in this moment that there is one who will come and be a better sacrifice. It's this beautiful passage where God says to Abraham, Now I know you love me because you did not withhold your son, your only son, whom you love from me. We can look at God, understanding that Jesus is the true, better Isaac. We look at God and we, we see him taking his son, the only begotten son, Jesus, to the mountain and sacrificing him. We know that Jesus is the true and better Isaac because he sacrificed his only son as an act of love for us. Jesus is the true and better Moses. He stands in the gap between the people and the Lord. You know, Moses was a leader prior to Joshua, I've already mentioned of Israel. He was imperfect. He stood between the people and God, mediating uh, a promise between God and the people. But Jesus is the true and better Moses. He stands in that gap perfectly. Jesus is the true and better Passover lamb. 
innocent, perfect, helpless, slain so that the angel of death would pass over us. Jesus is the true temple, the true prophet, the true priest, the true king, the true sacrifice, the true lamb, the true life, and the true bread. We see Jesus in the people of the Old Testament. We also see Jesus in the events that prophesy the coming of Jesus. And the big event of the Old Testament is what's called the Exodus. I've already mentioned it. It's where Israel, they numbered maybe into the millions, have been enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years, and God chose to deliver them. He delivered them to safety through the Red Sea. Now, the entire book of Exodus gives us a glimpse of what Christ came to do. Just as the people crossed over from the Red Sea, from death to life, Christ provides a way for us to be delivered from death to life. We see Jesus in the titles that refer to him. There are titles in the Old Testament that are used to describe Jesus. Titles like Redeemer, Savior, Lord of Glory, Husband, the husband-bridegroom relationship. We see a type of Jesus here. The light, the rock, the shepherd, the son of man. These titles that are ascribed to Jesus, we see them in the Old Testament. We get a picture of what they mean by what happens in the Old Testament when these titles are spoken. Maybe most fascinating of all and most crippling to those of you who are skeptics, to your arguments, are the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. Do you know that there are hundreds of prophecies in the Bible, and many of them by Old Testament prophets, and Jesus fulfills the ones that could have been fulfilled so far perfectly. There's not a one he did not fulfill. Things prophesied about him hundreds of years before he was ever even on the earth. Isaiah chapter 53 talks about one who would be a deliverer, a savior. Here, here's what it says. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. This is a foreshadow to the cross. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and esteemed him not. He bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. This is a prophecy made about Jesus 700 years before he lived on the earth. There are, throughout the entire Old Testament, places where we see Jesus. What I want you to understand is that the entire Bible is about Jesus and what he has done. And as we consider this, we can more accurately trace retrace his steps. We can look at what he did as he walked through life in the Gospels. Will you, will you join us? There are a number of guests here today and I want to invite you to walk with us over the course of the next few months as we look through the Gospels and we follow this story. For those of you that are skeptics, will you go back through your life story that Think about where you, uh, 
about how you got to where you are in your understanding of who Jesus is? Is there a place in your story, in your life, where you knew someone who claimed to be a Christ follower and they let you down? This is very, very common. Rarely do I meet somebody who says to me, I reject Jesus as Messiah. Uh, and if they allow me to get past their sort of rejection to their story, most often the reason people reject Jesus is because they actually are rejecting his followers. People that claim Christ, that have messed up along the way, and in doing so, it's impacted others. What I'm saying to you, for those of you that are skeptics, would you be willing to go back through your life story to the places where you begin to doubt that Jesus could be God? Maybe in your story, what you've experienced is some kind of pain, sorrow, and so you conclude, how can God be loving and that happen to me? Would you be willing to go back to those moments? I, I cannot promise you that we'll never again see inadequacies in people that follow Christ, but wouldn't you say it's fair to consider the man, Jesus Christ, for who he is that's revealed in God's holy word? Maybe this will help you understand what I mean. I love a good restaurant. I love to, to experience new places. Jeannie and I do. And one of our favorite things about living in the city is we like to go to different restaurants. And it's restaurant week right now, which actually lasts a month, which seems like they would call it restaurant month. But yeah, I'm not the mayor. So, you know, so we love going to new places. But isn't it interesting? If you hear something about a place that their food is good and you go there, if you don't get good service, like if the wait staff doesn't take care of you, isn't it amazing how it affects the way you taste their food? If you go to a restaurant, no matter what the food tastes like, if the wait staff doesn't take care of you, you will quite possibly never return. Isn't that true? Anybody out here can attest to that? You like to eat. Anybody out here like to eat? Okay, amen. Yes, that, that is true. And, and, and so what we must think about is this, like, Maybe, just maybe, what the cook has made, God himself, the gospel made for us, it's not, a, it's not an issue with the, with the food, but maybe the way we've received it, somebody's delivered it to us has been offensive or difficult to take. But what I'm saying to you, would you consider trying food again? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Would you consider trying this if you're a skeptic, I hope you'll join us. Maybe you hear you are a believer, but you're tired. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you're like a flower in the winter. whose leaves have been chewed up. whose petals are brittle. Would you consider going back to where you first loved Christ. Would you consider that? Would you be willing to go back to that place where your faith felt so fresh? Would you be willing to retrace your steps to that place? 
Maybe in your journey you got off course somewhere. This is very common. Maybe in your journey you were distracted by some kind of temptation, some kind of sin, something else that appeared on the surface to provide uh, satisfaction that you were presently experiencing in your relationship with God. So you followed that. And then all of a sudden you find yourself in the woods, lost. Would you consider... Retracing your steps to that place. That place where you first loved Christ. Would you consider going to that place and taking another look at life in Christ? For those of you that are tired in your faith, I want you to know that all of us go through seasons where we feel worn out and weary. I pray that this series for you will help you Retrace your steps to that place. Many of you are here. You're not skeptics and you're not even tired as followers of Christ. You're genuinely growing in your faith. One of the most incredible things about God is that He is mysterious. And it's a beautiful thing to return to that place that is working to understand who Jesus is and what we see is that time and time again, as we go to that place, we find things about the beauty of God that we've never seen before. I love Colorado. I haven't been in some time. But each time that I go, I find it to be breathtaking. I find the mountains and the way that they're shaped so perfect. The last time I was in Colorado, I was there for a week backpacking. It was one of those kinds of trips where it was uh, LNT, leave no trace. We didn't have a fire at night for fear that it might scorch a little piece of grass. During the day when we hiked, it would be sunny and beautiful in one moment, and the next moment it would be snowing. We didn't take a shower for a week. It was an incredible trip. And there were moments, on, uh, we didn't have a watch, no cell phone, nothing. It took me about two days to deal with not knowing what time it was. But there were moments, and I can think back, where I would lay down on the foot, or about halfway up the mountain we were trying to uh, get to the peak of. And I would look at this majestic, gigantic, beautiful mountain, and I would see things about its beauty that I'd never seen before. I went back, and I retraced my step time and time again in those days that I was there, to the same place, and I would look and go, wow, I didn't notice that, that curve on the side of the mountain, or I didn't notice that the snow was in that same place. And what it did was it, it painted an even more clear, clear picture in my memory of this beautiful, majestic place. If you're growing in your faith, do you know, if you will take another look at life with Christ, what will happen in you is your experience of Christ will deepen. Your love for God will grow. Will you take another look at life with Jesus Christ? Today's an invitation for you to see that Jesus is the main character in the entire Bible. But really what I want to do is to engage you to walk with us in this series be a part of this journey where all of us take another look at life with Christ.